So today we are uh, continuing our series uh, on, on making sure that we are handling God's Word right, that our, our theology is not bad, but it is good. It is actually lined up with the Word of God. It is uh, according to Jesus. It is the way of Jesus. And today's uh, the finish or the, the, the conclusion to uh, last week's message. And so this week is really specifically uh, how to respond biblically to habitual sin. And one of the biggest questions that comes out of this that we won't even try to answer today is exactly how much is habitual? Because a lot of that has to be handled by the Holy Spirit in your own life because there's not a specific definition of it, even though there is a specific definition of it. So last week we heard a lot of, um, of tough words from Scripture, uh, things that, uh, quite honestly, are uncomfortable to read, that, that, feel, um, that, 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 that feel painful, uh, and the response by, by the law is tough to hear. Um, and just realities as we dig into this. And if you're joining us online, so glad you're with us today and glad you're in the house today. And it looks like uh, a lot of people got their alarm clock set correctly. Uh, maybe a few didn't, but we'll have fun with them in a little bit. We don't have to celebrate out loud, but just hug them and say thanks for coming to the end of the service when they come in in a little bit. Uh, but reality, the... LGBTQ plus movement is one of the biggest challenges in our society today. Uh, not just because it's sin, but because of what's being pressed on it. And we, as God's church, need to know the truth and how to respond to it as well. Today is going to concentrate on the how we respond to this. The way that we respond to people who are living a life that is opposed to God's word, it really does matter. The way we respond to it, not just knowing truth from untruth or sin from righteousness, but the way we handle it. I appreciate your honesty, how encouraging it was with the altars filled, but even bigger than that, with the way that. Uh, the, the stories that you shared with our staff, the way you love the people, your friends, your family, um, your coworkers, your, your, your folks you go to school with that are either in this lifestyle or struggling or fighting it or whatever the case may be. Um, uh, your, your stories are amazing. The fact that you want to handle this right for the glory of God, it's a really, really big deal. I do want to give you one more thing as we dig into this today. Uh, neither myself nor Drew come in here saying, we've got all this. I know exactly how to handle this. We also don't say that we've never messed up in this area as far as trying to help someone. Because you can get this whole cart before the horse on this thing and, and totally mess it up and run people away from the very God that we're trying to point them to. But here's the good news. We do have the Word of God to give us direction. We do have the Word of God to, to teach us. So uh, I know we've, uh, we've prayed 
and I know that there has been sincere worship, and I know there has been sincere prayer in this place, but this is too big that you and I know how to handle this. I want, you to, I want to ask you to join me once again. Let's just bow our heads before the Lord and say, God, we want to get this right. We need you by the power of your Holy Spirit to take away the fears that we have. A fear of maybe getting canceled because we talked to someone. A fear of not talking to someone and getting it wrong and not loving well. Break us down from the inside out. Open our eyes to see people like you see people. Open our hearts to those that are very different from us, but also, Lord, help us to realize that we're not that different. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Fix us in the best way and in the only way that it can happen, that coming through your power. And it's in the holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask Drew to come ahead and, and join me um, as we prepare today and I'm leaving camera right now to grab a couple of chairs which does mean exactly what you think we're gonna be here a minute because we got a lot to talk about so uh, we've got several questions that we're gonna dig into today and uh, boy this has been one that Drew and I have poured over over and over again this week and it's a it's a big deal it's a challenge for us um, so several questions the first one is this are we as Christians Supposed to talk to people or to talk to people living in sin about Jesus and the gospel? Well, the answer seems so logical, right? But so many times we don't because people are different from us. I want to finish the letter that was shared with me by one of our church members from last week, uh, talking about uh, specifically the subject of where our identity comes from. And there's one more paragraph here that I thought is just so profound, uh, something that we need to hear. He said this, in the past 20 years, our culture has changed from openly rejecting homosexuality and treating it as sin to openly accepting homosexuality and condemning those who consider it sin or wrong. The LBGT movement has become a very powerful movement in our society, shedding light on injustice wrongfully treated by society and by Christians, and I agree, but also making what was considered sin not to be sin in our society. Our injustice as Christians was real and is real. It is rooted in prejudices due to differences that we don't fully understand, much like other prejudices in this world. I know this was and is wrong, but my fear is that churches are swinging the pendulum too far and accepting what was once considered sin as not sin. Hmm. As we've been wrestling with this topic, this was about him and his spouse, we have found that we need to change our hearts to show intentional love to those that struggle with homosexuality. But it is also clear to me and to my spouse that this is sin. Do you feel the struggle 
on both sides of this. It's way real, isn't it, Drew? It is. In recent days, we've even heard well-known pastors um, say things like we should lead a quiet life and mind our own business when it comes to addressing sin, particularly sexual sin. Um, but I don't believe that's what the, the Bible teaches us. You know, the, the Bible calls us, based on the, the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, to lovingly and uh, purposefully engage uh, those who don't believe the same way as we do, those who don't follow Christ. He calls us to, de to develop relationships with them, have conversations with them um, that ultimately point them to Christ, that ultimately address their sin and point them to Jesus. Uh, so have we as a church got this wrong and, and gone about this in the wrong way a lot of times? Absolutely. Um, we all know that. We all recognize that. But that doesn't negate our calling to love people enough to, to introduce them to Jesus and to start those conversations. So what's the answer? Yes. The answer is 100% without a shadow of a doubt, no questions asked, yes. We share the love of Jesus, yes. We share the truth of Jesus from Genesis chapter 3, working through, and let's just make this clear, through the entire rest of the Bible. Uh, the answer to the question is yes, the gospel is for every human who will trust Christ by grace through faith. That's who it's for. That's what we are created for. So the second question as we're walking through this day, how do we live like Jesus and respond to those who are living in sin according to his word? Now I want to challenge us first to be careful with this because more than likely, that's like a lot of us. Living in sin according to his word. So the wrong way to approach uh, the people we love, specifically those who don't know Jesus, and say, you, and say you are living in sin. That's the wrong way. Here's what I'm saying when I say this. What's going to happen when we open up a conversation with, you're living in sin, dude? It's over. The conversation's done. They're walking in another direction. Maybe the better question is, uh, so is the life you're living, is it, is, it, is it fulfilling or does it tear you apart? Maybe it's a better question we ask. So we as followers of Jesus are supposed to be like, live like, love like Jesus. Um, treat people like he treated people. Uh, which was amazing, to forgive, to speak truth and love. And Jesus did not condone or approve of sin in any way ever. It's not who he was. It's not who he is. So remember, it, is, it was our sin that cost him his very life. Now, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. You're going to see the passage up on the, on the screen behind us, but I want you to follow along with me in this. John chapter 8. Interesting story, a lot about this story, but in verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd was gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. So that's the whole realm of where this is going. He's got a crowd around, he's teaching them, and as he was speaking, he's at the temple, as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? 
And then there's a little commentary there that John puts in in verse 6. He says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust or in the sand with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again, and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. And that's a story for everyone. For that's, that's the way you come to Jesus. In this case, it's the way that she was brought to Jesus. So the Pharisees appear at first glance to be like quoting Scripture. Leviticus chapter 20. If someone is caught in the act of adultery, then you stone them. It costs them their life. But here's the problem. They misquoted Scripture. Because what the Scripture says is that it was both the man and the woman. And my question is, where's the woman? Isn't it convenient that he was left out of this story? Yeah, it reminds me a lot of what we talked about some last week, um, that we as a church have been so inconsistent when it comes to addressing sexual sin. Um, I believe we've got to do a better job of this all the way around. We've got to do a better job of biblically addressing sins of all kinds uh, with our friends, with our neighbors, uh, with our family, uh, because I, I think that's... When we can get this right, then it, it makes the challenging things not as difficult. If we, if we make it a habit of lovingly pointing people from their sin to Jesus, then when we address sins that are controversial, it's just it's our norm. Um, I think we've got to do a better job there. So I want to walk through this passage for just a second. So Jesus stoops down and he writes in the sand. Um, if Jesus says she must be stoned... What happens to his, reputations as, his reputation as a friend of sinners? Well, they're, they're gone. They're out. They're not going to hear the message of grace and forgiveness. It's going to be the rare exception if they happen to hang on. But if Jesus said the woman should not be stoned, then he's clearly breaking God's law. Well, what are these religious leaders going to do? Uh, they're going to have him arrested. And it's over right there. It ends. He's going to jail. His answer is let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's Jesus' answer. And then for a second time, Jesus stoops down and he writes in the dust. Now, there's all kinds of stuff about what he wrote. Here's the truth. We ain't got a clue. We don't have a clue. We don't have a guess. We can't even imagine what he was writing there. He might have just been doodling. We don't know what he was doing, but... uh, Quick, quick guessing, quit playing with that. But one by one, the Pharisees quietly left. One by one. It's like they just started peeling off. The older, hopefully wiser, left first realizing, Ooh, I don't have it all right, so I need, uh, I, I can't throw the first stone. So Jesus stayed on his knee until the entire crowd had cleared except the woman. Then it's just Jesus and the guilty woman. There was never an argument of whether she was guilty or not. So where your accusers, nobody condemned you unless they said, no, nobody, they're all gone. They just left. 
And then Jesus said, neither do I. Now, what does that mean? Jesus forgave her sin, like on the spot. Just like he forgave the criminal on the cross, like on the spot he forgave this woman. But that's not the end of the story. And don't miss this. Then Jesus said, don't go and, then, then go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't, didn't, didn't go easy on sin. He didn't condone it in any way. He didn't contradict the law. For Jesus to get, forgive this sin simply meant that there was going to come a day when he was going to have to die for that sin. This is prior to the cross. This is still to come. I love the way Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus everything. Yeah, I've heard you say before, and I think it's worth saying again, that, that Jesus loves you in your sin. Absolutely. Uh, that's true. We, we know that's true from a lot of Scripture, but Romans 5.8 makes it really clear that God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's very clear that, that God loves you in your sin, but he loves you enough not to want you to stay there, not to leave you there. That, that's why he died. That, that's why he gave his life and was raised again is so that we could be freed from sin, so that we could walk in the Spirit and be free from that and made right with the Father. So even though God's desire for us is to be righteous, the law has a different reason. The law shows us what sin is. It reveals it to us in a, in a very graphic kind of way sometimes. And when we see it, we'll quickly understand that it's impossible for us to keep God's law. Uh, Jesus reminds us, and it's amazing how, how the Trinity, and specifically how Jesus, uh, working through the New Testament, shows us that we can't. We just sang a song that he won't fail, but there's never anything in that song that we won't fail because we do, we will. Uh, Jesus reminds us in a powerful way. You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But then Jesus like takes this off the chart and he says, but even if you have lust in your eyes, guess what you've already done? You've already committed adultery in your heart. Which that means I'm looking at a bunch of adulterers in this room. And when I look in the mirror, I'm looking at an adulterer. According to Jesus, which means I cannot keep the law. So law and grace don't compete with each other. They complement each other. One points us to the other. Conviction has to happen before conversion can take place. Repent and believe. Yeah. I love Romans 2, 4. It reminds us. Uh, that God's kindness, the fact that he doesn't just destroy us immediately when we sin is meant to lead us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So the law exists to expose both our sin and the Lord's grace in sending Jesus. So Jesus' grace in this passage as we look at it is bigger than we could ever have imagined, honestly, greater than we could have ever hoped for. But Jesus left no excuse for the woman to keep on sinning. Right. And that's us. Jesus is in the change business. Psalm 130 verse 4 says, but you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. 
You offer that. It's, that comes from your kindness. And then in John chapter 3 and verse 16, a verse that we've probably all memorized, but we missed the next one. And the next one matters so much. Verse 16 says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son that, or so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, listen. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's not a, he didn't come here just to mash us into a greasy spot, which he could, and rightly so. But that is not why he came. So for the next couple of minutes as we wrap this up, I want to give you some very, very, very practical uh, insight to how you and I should deal with this. And there's a lot of fill in the blanks and you may not get them on. If you miss some of this, please email us and let us know and we'll help you with this. But the very first one is, is where we have to start. Pray. And don't stop praying. Pray for those that you know are struggling. Pray for the way that you handle this. Pray for their response to this. Pray for the gospel to go forward. And you don't have to ask about what Jesus did in this. Jesus's pattern in every tough situation just because we're not given to given it all the time he prayed before he dealt with stuff he prayed before he went to the garden he prayed before he dealt with the sin he prayed you can know that he did that in this situation he always did yeah I think we struggle with this because uh, we've been conditioned to expect um, and desire immediate results so we pray and we get up and we expect it to happen because just how our society is, but I, I recently read a book that I would highly recommend. It's called um, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel by Christopher Ewan, and uh, he was a practicing homosexual, and his parents um, got saved. They, they came to know Christ, and his mother began to pray for him. She prayed for eight years uh, before things changed, before he repented and, and placed his faith in, in Christ, and these are people that grew up in the church, that were around the church, but it took eight years before anything uh, changed. But the only thing that changed before that was the, her approach. As she began to pray for him, it changed how she approached him, how she engaged with him, how she treated him, how she loved him. And, and he said that was what made him notice. That's what made him take notice, is he recognized something different in his mom, something was going on, and it was her praying for him and her approaching him differently because of that prayer. So I don't know if you hear that now, but it, it's really saying don't give up. Right. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. You're not, you don't stop praying for other things. Why in the world would you stop praying for this? Yeah. If, if I ask you right now, do you know someone personally that's dealing with this? I think most of you would say, yeah. My question is, are you praying for them? Are you praying for the way that you're going to handle this? Here's the second thing. Ask God to, to give you a heart of compassion rather than condemnation. Remember, that's where Jesus, Jesus came in in compassion, not in condemnation. Um, this person is a person before they're a homosexual, created in the very image of God. We've heard it said to, to love the sinner and hate the sin. It's true, but what we do with it really does matter. It's not scripture. It is an example given to us in the word, but that phrase is not scripture. So should we say this to people? This is an easy one to, to say and feel like you're justified, right? Because in principle, it, it's true. 
Um, we should hate sin and we should love people, but the problem is in practice we've made a mess of this. Uh, we've, we've hated the sin and hated the sinner right along with it. And, and that doesn't get us anywhere. You know, we say, well, I love you, but all people hear is what comes after the but. They don't hear I love you and they don't feel I love you. So, so maybe instead of us saying this, maybe instead of talking about it, we just need to practice it. We just need to do it. We just need to love people well. While, of course, not condoning or accepting the sin, but just loving the people, uh, rather than saying it, just do it. You know, when you hate somebody, you avoid it. And I think that's where the church is messed up on this so bad. Because we're so uncomfortable with this sin that we completely avoid people because we are uncomfortable with it. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Instead, we will speak the truth in love. You have to hear every single word. Speak the truth in love. Growing in every way more and more like Christ who is the head of his body, which is the church. So Ephesians chapter 4 has an interesting context, and it's got a lot of meat in it. I mean, there is so much in Ephesians chapter But it, it's interesting in its context. Paul is talking about people who are actually desiring and working to become spiritually mature. It is who they want to be. It's what the drive is in their heart. They're, they're, they're wanting to grow into faithfulness and, and realness with God. It's their desire. It's what they're seeking. It's what they're discovering uh, their place in the body of Christ. So uh, there's a unique relationship between truth and love. And this is pretty cool. I'm just thinking about this. This is, this is game changer for me. Uh, both have to be 100%. The truth and the love. He says, speak the truth and love. So speak the truth. If you speak the truth, but you don't speak the truth and love, that's a problem. Because what are people going to do? They're going to hear the but, and they're going to be, see ya, I'm out. And that could happen in this room. If someone came in this room and it was apparent that that was the lifestyle, and we're like, ah, nothing to do with them. I ain't sitting by them. I'm just telling you, that is messed up because that is not what Jesus would have done. But if I love and I just accept you as you are but never speak the truth, I'm not showing love either. Just remember which one comes first. If we choose to overlook the untruths, the lies, uh, so that we are trying not to cause problems, that's not love. Or if we rip into people to set the record straight, even if it's biblical truth, where's the love? So go back and look at the way that Jesus dealt with this. Love and truth have to coexist they have to work together they have to go in the in the same paragraph uh and, and real love and real truth and that only exists in jesus right. has to come from our prayer and our talk with him so you found this quote i love this I got a quote in the email wednesday and i shared it with ross because i thought it was so appropriate it says uh, our love grows soft if it is not strengthened by truth and our love grows hard if it is not softened by love. Just let that soak in for a second as you're looking at those words. Let that soak in. And here's the, the next thing. Stop avoiding people because they are messed up. I mean, aren't you glad that people don't avoid you because you're messed up? Right. I'm really glad people don't avoid me because 
I'm messed up. It's not like we do an inventory when people walk in and ask their sins, right? I mean, what if their sin expressed itself in a different way? Would we avoid them? Would we disown them? Would we disregard them? Uh, I don't think we would. Uh, so then neither should we um, disregard or avoid those who struggle with sin in a different way than we do. So as we prepare to be gospel light in this area, I think we do need to be ready to answer some hard questions. Uh, and, and it's going to take preparation. We're going to be ready for this. First uh, Peter 3.15 uh, says, be ready to give an account for the hope that is within you. Be ready for that. Uh, here's just a few questions um, that, that we have to be ready to answer. Uh, for instance, why do, why do you believe some verses in the Old Testament and ignore others? Why are some applicable and some not? Why did, why did God make me gay if he condemns it as a sin? Uh, another one, why is it wrong for two loving people to be in a committed relationship? You got to be ready to answer that. Uh, do I have to become straight to become a Christian? Uh, just a couple more. Why didn't Jesus say anything about homosexuality? Well, we talked about that last week, so you've got one answer already, right? Gave it to you clearly. If you missed it, go back and check it out. Um, another one, uh, can I become a, a great Christian, kind of the, a, a gay Christian? Is that some way to answer that? There's no way for us to walk through all of these right now, but uh, I want to encourage you to dig in for yourself to know the answers to these questions, to be ready to give an account for it. There are so many great tools out there uh, in groups like Focus on the Family, uh, answers that come from great websites like gotquestions.org. Um, and, uh, you know, if you've dug into these and you think you've found the answer or if you just can't find the answer, uh, give us a call let's have a conversation even if it's by email or text message but even better sitting down face to face to figure out how to answer these questions it will help you as you go forward so just a couple more things uh realize and admit that we are not more righteous it's a great place to start yeah matthew um uh, seven five jesus is talking about judging others and he says first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Now, I know some of you are like, well, that's a beam, man. That's a beam in their eye. And, and maybe you're right. But nonetheless, the, the point is that we need to be honest about our own sin and our own need for redemption while being humble and gracious and loving as we approach the sin of others. Uh, the point is not whose sin is worth because... All sin is the same in God's eyes. All, all sin separates us from God. And so we are not more righteous than them. Our only righteousness is by the grace of God. And so we've got to keep that in mind as we love people and speak to them the truth in love. So these are your friends. These are your family. These are your coworkers. These are your friends at school. I think what we've got to do is start the conversation in a loving way. Not this way. We start it in a loving way. Give them hope for something better. Uh, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Right. Remember the other part of that. A thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Do you, do, you, do you want something better? Is this fulfilling? You happy with yourself? 
And the question is so often not a positive one there. Proverbs chapter uh, 15 and verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. It's just the way that we handle it. Here's another one. Be patient. Be patient. Second uh, Peter chapter 3.15 says, And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. This is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you uh, with the wisdom God gave him. Just uh, two more, I believe. Keep the door open. I heard a podcast this week uh, about this subject, dealing with Gen Zers, and a pastor responded to a question that he got at his church. Uh, someone who's been living the homosexual lifestyle asked him, well, does your church welcome all people? And his answer was, well, yeah, everyone is welcome at our church. And then the person asked, so will you want me to change? What a great question. But it, the, the answer to that one's actually quite loaded because the pastor said it, and I love the way he answered it. He said, this is a different question. We expect everyone to be changed and to be changed by the power of God Almighty, by Jesus himself, by the Holy Spirit. We expect everyone to experience change. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. That is who Jesus is. Here's just another one. Remember, only Jesus can change a life for eternity. We can't quit wearing all that yourself. You're just putting it out there, and they have to respond to it. We personally have no power to change a life, especially for eternity. So point the person to Jesus specifically. You're not pointing them right now to a new lifestyle. You're pointing them to a brand new life. You know, uh, one of the most humbling truths from the, the book I was telling you about, Holy Sexuality, um, was whenever he, he was talking about his, his parents and all the things he wrote, my biggest sin wasn't same-sex sexual behavior. My biggest sin was unbelief. And sometimes we make homosexuality, those things, the sin, but it's not the sin. Unbelief is the sin. And when his parents came to realize that, that's what changed their approach, as I said, and how they prayed and everything they did changed at that point. I think that's key for us to remember. So that person or persons that you've got in your mind, do you want to see God do a miracle in their life? Then you've got to tell them about Jesus. What he did, why he did it, how they can know him in a very personable, real, intimate way that's what he desires for us and it's what he desires for you as we sit on the edge of this this morning and it's a lot to think about some of you think like oh my goodness they just gave me so much homework I don't even know where to begin it's a big deal but you know for some of us in this room that first step's never been taken remember it begins with repentance our own repentance, because everybody's messed up. And if you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ by faith, through the grace that he offers, through what he did on the cross, if you've never done it, this is the place where that can start right now. If you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John chapter, John, John chapter 3 and verse 16 is yours to claim right now from the same God who's not here to condemn you, but to, to heal you, to help you, to save you. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. If that's you and you've never done that, then by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, respond in that way today. If you need to handle this right and you haven't handled it correctly before your holy God, then get before your holy God and say, God, fix this so I can help there. Cry out to him. Maybe you need a friend to hold you accountable in this. Go grab him by the arm or the hand and say, hey, come pray with me about this. Or right where you are, get on your knees and pray with you about this.